Good morning, Harlem in the Bronx. Half of y'all live in the Bronx anyway, so this is home for some of you, right? Let's go with God, to God in a word of prayer. And uh, we're going to start a new series today, Loving the Lord with All Our Strength. All Our Strength. Let's pray. Our Father God, we come before you. We, we are humbling ourselves before you right now, Lord. We ask that you will uh, search the deepest thoughts of our minds, Father, that you will Search the deepest corner of our hearts. God, that you will expose our hearts, our minds, our soul, our whole being to your word this morning. And God, we pray that throughout the week that you'll also continue to expose us to your word. God, you'll continue to have us uh, face ourselves through the scriptures. God, to find correction, to find uh, direction, but most importantly, God, to find hope and encouragement. To continue to persevere and endure until Jesus calls us home. Father, we pray that today we will walk away with a deeper conviction, with a deeper desire to love you with all of our being, and I pray that you'll use me as your vessel this morning. God, we love and thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm going to step back a little bit here so I can see. Today we're starting a new series, Loving the Lord with All Our Strength. All Our Strength. You know, when we think of people... When we think of strong people, we often think of those of impressive physical strength. Those who can and have endured incredible circumstances. We know we think of single moms who raise children on their own. We think that's a strong woman. Or when we think of, uh, uh, you know, we think of about a, a, a brother or a husband who has persevered through job loss and 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 different challenges and changes in his life, and he still fights to be with his family. We think that's a strong brother, right? We think of individuals who've dug deep, who showed unrelenting determination, pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps, the rags, the riches stories. We love to hear things like that. Hard workers, and we're especially impressed by physical specimens of strength, aren't we? I know the brothers, we... We love watching boxing matches. We love football because it's not so much about scoring the touchdown as it is about hearing those hard hits, right? I mean, we just love to see it. That's why football will never go away. But, you know, there's more to strength than just physical strength, although I do want to point out a few people that I was totally blown away by. The first one is this lady named Ernestine Shepard. You guys know who this is, right? Most of you say, people saying yes. Ernestine Shepard is the world's oldest female bodybuilder. Guess how old she is? 81 years old. She was declared by the Guinness Book of World Records as the oldest living bodybuilder. Body She's no longer competing, but I'm like, good Lord. She won two bodybuilding titles as well as ran nine marathons. Nine marathons. James won zero marathons. And get this, she runs 80 miles a week. James Warren, zero miles a week. I am a believer. I'm impressed. She currently works as a personal trainer. Brothers, imagine going into your local gym and see her spotting the biggest guy on the rack. 
physical specimen. So impressive. Now, for the young people in the audience, where are my young people? Let me hear you make some noise, young people. I was talking about the kids, but I know we're all kids at heart, right? I was talking about the kids. Check these kids out. Two brothers from Romania, the world's youngest bodybuilders. That's not Photoshop. That's real. You can go on YouTube and watch their, their video. These kids are doing air push-ups. Air push-ups. James Warren, zero air push-ups. When the boys were seven and five years old, they were trained. They were trained for two hours each day with their father. Are you impressed? I am. I don't think my abs ever looked like that. But I want to look at a strength that God is impressed with. Can we do that? I mean, I think we're all impressed by these physical specimens here, physical examples of strength. But there's a strength in the Bible that God is impressed and esteems. And over Isaiah 66, this is a great scripture right here for, your, for, your, for you to memorize. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the who? To the humble, right? But let's look over at Isaiah 66. And in verse 1, this is what it says. It says, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where, the, where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things and so they came into being, declares the Lord? This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The Lord says the one he respects, the one he honors, is the one who is humble before him. You know, humility is an attractive quality to anybody. To anybody. You know, I was watching a, a sports, uh, a sports uh, report on Aaron Judge from the, uh, from the New York Yankees. And they were talking about how this young rookie was a physical specimen. He's 6'7". He's leading the league in home runs as a rookie. But the one quality that stood out to men who don't profess Jesus for the most part, the one quality that stood out above all the other qualities, all the stats, was that he was humble. He was humble. That is an attractive quality. And humility is a strength. Moses is most famous for leading the Israelites out of Egypt, for parting the Red Sea, and receiving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. But what's most impressive about Moses is found in Numbers 12, verse 3. Now Moses was a what? Very humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Some people spend most of their lives trying to be the world's strongest, the wealthiest, the world's fastest, the world's smartest, and the most interesting in the world. Moses chose something far better. He chose to be the humblest man in the world. You know, when I think about humility, 
I think about humility not as a one-time act, but as a lifestyle. For you to be called the most humble man in the world, it has to be your lifestyle. It has to be who you're known for. God doesn't just throw these type of acclamations around. He doesn't just give these out to anybody. He gives it to people who live up to it. And I often think, you know, if God looked at my life, would he think that I was at least the most humble man in the room, let alone the most humble man in the world? You know, I think that this is a goal worth going after. I think that this is a goal worth pursuing. People have spent their entire lives sacrificed families, sacrificed careers to be the strongest, to be the fastest. What about the most humble? Because that's what really matters to God. That's the man, that's the woman that God esteems, is he and she who are humble and contrite in spirit. It's so important that Jesus says that we can't even get into heaven without it. Look over in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. It says, at the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called over. Jesus is part of children's ministry. He, he called the little child and had him stand among them. He said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let me see all the kids. Raise your hand. Can all the kids in it? Raise your hand. Not the kids at heart. I'm talking about the real children. All these little angels that God has blessed us with. We need to imitate them. We need to imitate them. There are qualities that children have that Jesus says you must have in order to get into heaven. There are a lot of things we imitate. But do we imitate the qualities of a child? Because that's what Jesus says needs to be on our priority, the top priority on our list. And then the thing is, he says right here at the end, he says, whoever what? Humbles himself. Say, don't wait around for me to do it. He who humbles himself and becomes like a child. You know, children forgive. They're tenderhearted. They trust. Even when we mess up, you can go to a child and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I, I blew it. I messed up. And they may give you a little, you know, some kids can be, you know, yeah, you really hurt me. I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, that really hurt. I'm like, I'm sorry. Let's go get some ice cream. Okay, I forgive you. You know, but for the most part, they forgive and they move on. They don't say, I want another mommy or daddy. They love you. They forgive you. Are we like that with each other? Do we have these childlike qualities? You know, this is not the qualification for the super spiritual. This is not even a qualification to go into the full-time ministry. This is a qualification to get into heaven. We're talking about heaven here. We're talking about eternity here. Jesus didn't say that if you have awesome quiet times every morning, he will get into heaven. He says you must become like these little children. 
you must become humble. I was humble preparing for this because of all the prideful memories and thoughts and, and examples that I can think of in my own life. I'm like, Lord, help me. So today, let's test the strength of our humility. Amen? You might be surprised. You might actually be surprised. And if you, if you find yourself passing, then I want to encourage you to say, amen, thank you, Jesus. The glory goes to you. Don't think of yourself as awesome. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm closer to Moses. No, because now you're stepping outside of the humility and you're going into pride right there. All right? Everything that's about us, everything that's good about us, God has put in there. And we need to keep giving God the glory. So let's look at the test of humility. You guys, you didn't realize you were going to take a test this morning, did you? Now, we're, these qualities, we're taking little children, and we're taking the qualities of a little children, and we're going to test ourselves compared to these qualities that most children possess. Amen? Correction. How do you respond when you're corrected? Are you defensive? Do you listen well to correction that other gives, or do you cut them off before they finish? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Let me tell you my... But first, let me... You know where I'm going. Proverbs 9, verse 8. So don't be... Don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. But correct the wise, and they will love you. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it, yet my prayer is ever against the deeds of evil. You know, it takes courage to point out a fault in somebody. If someone comes to you and points out something, you have to stop and do you know, A wise person will say, you know what? It, 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 it had to take a lot of courage for this person to approach me and point that out. I mean, think about a time when you had to point something out of someone, the feelings, the process you went to just to muster up the courage. Now, some of us are a lot better at it than, than others. Some of us have no problem pointing stuff out in people. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, you know, that's, the, I mean, you got no problem with that. But for those of us who do, for those of us who, who bear the side of conflict avoidance, we got to get courage up to point something out to say, hey, you know, when you said that, that really hurt my feelings. Or, you know, the way you corrected your wife in front of everybody like that, I thought that was really disrespectful. You know, it, it takes courage to do stuff like that. So when someone is defensive and cuts you off at the knees before you can even get the, where, before you can even get the encouragement out, humble person will understand. You know, bro, it probably took you a lot of courage to say that. And you know what? I, I thank you for being, being willing to approach me on that. I, I, I thank you for that. That's what a humble person would say. But some of us, people are afraid to tell us what they think because they're afraid of the defensiveness. They're afraid of being attacked. Look, here's the thing. The truth is the truth, even if it comes from a non-member. Even if it comes from a co-worker. Even if it comes from a family member, and we know family, they are not tactful at all. I've had family point things out to me. I'm like, what? But because you're, you're familiar with each other, we're naturally defensive when it comes to family. 
telling me that, well, you, you, what, what? And don't be a Christian and have a non-Christian come up to you and point something out. You're like, I, I'm going to heaven. Where you go? You, you need to take your own advice. How we respond when corrected. How do you respond when you're corrected by your spouse? Do you use that as an opportunity to bring up their wrongdoings? Well, you know, when you said that, I don't see how you're bringing this up when last week, and you never talked about last week, but you're bringing it up now. Do you listen and give careful thought to their concern? They live with you. They see you. They know you better than anybody else. We should be the most humble with our spouses because they know the truth. Yeah, I need to grow. I failed that test many a times. You know, there's a such thing as false humility. Where you think that you're actually being humble, but you're not. You're just burying until somebody points something out in you, and then that's when they come right back up. That's called false humility. You act like everything is okay, but it's not okay until someone brings it up, and it's usually to our spouses. Well, I forgave you. How come you can't forgive me? I didn't know I hurt you. We didn't talk about it. You know, we need to welcome our, parents, our, our spouses' insight. What about being corrected by your children? You guys know the story? I'm dropping Siani off at daycare. I'm driving. Guy cuts me off. And I'm like, ugh, idiot. And Siani's sucking her thumb in the back. And she's like, Daddy, we need to be patient. <laughs> and I look back. I'm like, what? I'm like, amen. Amen, Lord. How about our prayer group facilitators? How do we respond to correction from them, members within your group? They may see things that are not right. Do you respond with humility? They may have encouragement for you to be more organized, on top of things. How do you respond to it? How do you resolve it? You know, I think sometimes what trips us up is we, we can't get over the person who's bringing us up. We can't get over their sin. And so when they point out our sin, it's like, well, wait a second. Take the plank out of your own eye first before you bring anything up to me. Yeah, that is Bible, but is it true? Is it true? If it's true, it shouldn't matter how it comes across. If it needs to change, it needs to change. You know, Jesus says that the truth will set us free. He didn't say how the truth will come to us. So all truth, regardless of how it comes, in the email, in the text message, harsh, kind, uh, uh, with a rose or candy attack, whatever, however it comes, is it true? How we respond determines whether we pass or fail. It all comes down to being like little children. How do you expect your children to respond when you correct them? Imitate that. What you expect them to be? Expect the same of yourself. Amen? The second one, honesty. Honesty. Am I honest with myself and with others? The most difficult person 
to deal with and to lead is you. It's yourself. You're the hardest person. You're, you're, it's hardest to motivate yourself, right? Come on, get up. You got to get up. Don't hit that snooze button again. You know, it's hard to motivate yourself sometimes. But we got to be honest about where we're at. We got to know ourselves well enough to know our strengths and our weaknesses. In Proverbs 26, verse 12, it says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hopeful fool than him. You know, it's, integrity is being honest with yourself. It's being honest with others. When someone asks you, hey, how's it doing? How you doing? If, it's, if things aren't going well, then just say things aren't going well. A brother called me up two days ago. Totally out of the blue, sent me a text. Hey, bro, how you doing? And I felt the temptation in my heart to just respond, everything is good. I was not doing good in that particular moment, which I'm thinking, wow, this is totally God. Because this isn't a brother that I often hear from or often talk to. Just out of the blue, he sends me a text right in the heat of a spiritual battle. And I believe that it was God testing me. Are you going to be honest, James? Or are you going to smooth over this because you're the leader and you, you're supposed to always be doing good? I sent them a reply. I said, bro, I'm not having a good day. Thanks for checking on me. Pray for me. This is truth. It's the truth. We can't get help unless we're honest. In James 1 verse 22, James 1 verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Don't just come to church and hear me preach. Do what the word says. That's how you know it works. You got to do what it says. You know, and what's interesting is that James is talking to disciples right here. We can talk all we want about humility and still be proud. And still be proud. And you know, if anything we, we walk away from here is that self-deception is dangerous. When we're deceived and we think we're doing worse than we actually are or better than we actually are, that's not a good place to be. Now, oftentimes you need people in your life to help you figure out where you are. And we've all needed that at one point in our lives. And we'll continue to need that in our lives. Someone that can be a prophet to us. To help us to see that, man, this is me right here. The scripture is talking about me. And here's the thing. That one scripture that you see that you're convicted by doesn't have to define who you are all the time. Just because you're struggling with pride today doesn't mean you're struggling with pride for the rest of your life. Moses was a man just like us. Moses had anger issues. Moses did not get to walk into the promised land because of his anger issues. But that didn't change the fact that he was still the most humble man on the earth. Just because you're struggling with something today, that doesn't have to define the rest of your life. Isaiah 44 he feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is, is it not this thing in my right hand a lie? You notice right here, God is dealing with the idolatry in his people. And they were so deceived that their hearts misled them. They had a deluded heart. They were so used to, to telling themselves and extend, extending the truth, they were deceiving themselves and didn't realize that their hearts were deluded. And that can happen to us spiritually. 
if we're not careful. We have to be honest with ourselves. You know, the whole purpose of a quiet time is so that we can see ourselves in connection to God. That we can see ourselves, that we can reflect, that we can hear the word and decide to do something with it. You know, our quiet times, we open up ourselves before God. Your prayer times, you open up your heart before God. You be, you're transparent before God. You expose yourself before God. And we need to ask God in our times with him to show us what he sees. We got to have that courage. God, show me what you see so that I'm not walking around deceived. I think sometimes we're afraid because we think that God is only going to expose the wrong. But there are a lot of good in your heart as well that God needs to let you see. That you can remind, you can be reminded of that, you know what? Yeah, I don't struggle with that anymore. Glory be to God. That's a, that's a strength. I've overcome that. God needs to show you that too. The good news, which keeps us going. You know, quiet times is not just about gaining knowledge. It's not just about knowing your Bible. It's about looking into the mirror of God's word and allowing yourselves to see what God sees. The third thing is forgiveness. Are you able to forgive and let things go? Or do you, like little children, forgive quickly? You know, this is the quality of God. God forgives quickly, and we want to praise him for that. Amen? You know, there's a parable. We don't need to go through the whole thing, but Jesus tells a story of the, the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18. And this guy was forgiven an, an insurmountable debt. He couldn't repay the debt he owed to his master. And his master showed him mercy and grace. And then he has a friend as he's leaving that conversation. He bumps into a friend that owes him a few cents. And he has the man thrown in the jail. He has the man thrown in the jail because he only owed him, not even dollars. It was a few cents, but he was so arrogant that he had the man thrown in the jail. And this is how... He was dealt with. In verse 32, it says, Then the master called the servant, and you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. You know, I thought about why is it so important. We forgive from the heart because if it's on the surface, it's going to come back up again. You got to forgive people from the heart. If you forgive from the heart, it won't come up again. You won't hang it over their heads. I mean, imagine if God only forgave us on the surface. And every time you come to him and you ask him for help, you ask him for, uh, you know, some, something uh, that you need in your life. And he said, well, wait a second. Why are you coming before me? You remember what you did last month? You shouldn't be coming before me. You shouldn't even think you, you deserve and answer to any prayer because of what you did last month. Let's not talk about yesterday. That's not God, though. That's not God. And that's not how we treat our children. But yet, sometimes we can be like this with each other. And we justify it because of who hurt us. They should know better. You should know better. 
So no, no, I, I can't. I, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I, I can't deal with you right now. Now here's the thing. This is a true test of humility. Because you're reminded just in Luke 18. Let's look at Luke 18 real quick. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up at heaven. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, the other man he's talking about was a Pharisee. Was someone who knew the Bible. Was someone who knew better. And instead of humbling himself and seeing his own need for forgiveness, he compared himself to the tax collector. And I think sometimes what keeps us from forgiving people from the heart is we compare our sins to their sin. Now, I didn't, I didn't do anything compared as near as terrible as what you did to me. Rather than comparing it to the one we really hurt. And you see, I think sometimes we're disillusioned with this. David was clear on who he sinned against. He said, it's against you and you only, God, that I sinned against. When we start comparing who hurt who worse, it'll never leave the surface. It'll sit right there at the surface until the next offense. And you know, here's the thing. The Bible tells us that we reap what we sow. If that's how we're going to forgive others, there's going to come a time where you are going to be on the receiving end of forgiveness, and you're going to want to be forgiven. How do you want your children to understand forgiveness? How do you teach them about forgiveness? Do likewise. Number four, confession. Confession. Are you able to confess your sins and mistakes without making excuses? No qualifiers. That's right. <laughs> Say it again, Benji. No. Right? No. He said no qualifiers. Adam had a qualifier. His wife, he threw that girl all up under the bus. Poor Eve. Her husband didn't stand up. Like the man he should have. Instead, he said, the woman you put here brought me the fruit, but who did God give the command to? He gave it to Adam. So even if Eve brought that fruit, honey, you want to try some of this? Woman? No. Didn't you hear what the Lord said? He said, don't eat of any of the tree. We've got all this garden here. You're going to break fruit from the forbidden tree? What you trying to do? No, but instead he said, oh, who's fruit? He ate it. And then once the consequences came, what did he do? He threw his wife under the bus. It's her fault. She didn't make herself available to me. That's why I gave him the impurity. It's her fault. She didn't respect me enough, so I had to do what I do. I'm a man. You know, I, she didn't love me, so she didn't respect me. She didn't pay attention to me, so I went out and did what I did. 
What qualifiers are you holding on to to justify your sin? You see, had Adam had just said, Lord, I blew it. You're absolutely right. It was my, it was my fault. I should have been more careful. I should have been more attentive. I ate it. You told me. Who knows what God would have done? And even then, God still took care of him. But had he been more humble, who knows? Who knows what would have, been, what would have, have come about had God, had Adam had been more humble? You know, can you say without excuses, I was wrong? Can you hear yourself say those words? It was my fault. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's a humbling thing to say. In Proverbs 28, verse 13, the Bible says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. God desires to give mercy. God does not want to see us suffer at the hands of sin. we got to believe that. God is not sitting up there in his throne waiting for us to blow it so he can punish us. That's not who God is. God is love. God is merciful. God is compassionate. And when we confess, we're telling, we're basically saying to God, you're right. I blew it. It's my fault. Please forgive me. That's what we're saying when we confess, when we get open about our sin. Sometimes we fear confessing because we don't trust in God's promise of mercy. We don't trust that we're going to receive mercy. And so we conceal it. And what's even worse is that some of us know other people who are living in sin and we don't call them out. The Bible says that we're to expose the deeds of darkness, not sit around and ignore it. Matthew 18 isn't just for, if you see a brother, if you know of a brother, you know what, you need to go repent. If you don't say something, I'm going to say something. Because we're going to protect the church. Every time we let someone live in sin, somebody else gets hurt. There have been situations in our church, because people have kept quiet, multiple people have been hurt in the church by one person. It could have been dealt with had it been exposed and dealt with right at the first onset. Had someone had said, you need to get open right now or I'm going to tell on you. But we live in this no snitching. You know, God doesn't buy that. God doesn't buy that. I'm not a snitch. Well, you know what? Then you're just as guilty as the person sinning because you know that they're in sin and you're letting it go. It's not gossip. It's righteousness. That's what it is. How do you think Paul knew about what was going on in the church? Paul was sitting in prison. He said that some from Chloe's household has informed me about this stuff that's going on. People in Chloe's Bible talk in her house church wrote a letter to Paul. I don't know who they sent. Timothy, make sure Paul reads this. Because they were sick and tired of what was going on. Paul was informed by the people in Chloe's household that there was nonsense going on in the church and it wasn't being dealt with. And Paul said, what is going on? Should you guys not put this person out of your fellowship? They're living in sin and nobody's saying anything. 
You know, when we confess, it's, it's humbling. Listen to David's heart right here. Right after he, he committed an, an unthinkable sin. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you approve right when you speak and are justified when you judge. We got to own it. It's your sin. That's humility. It's hard for us to go there sometimes. But when you go there, you feel free. You're right with God. You're clean in your heart. Your conscience is clear. You can move forward. It's when we hold on to sin that we, we, we become super suspicious. We think every message, every point in every message is about us. And it's because we got sin in our hearts. Every time somebody's saying something, are they talking about me? What they say? Who told James? How did he find out? And you're guilty because you haven't confessed. And I don't know what's going on. You'd be surprised at how little I know what's going on. But God knows. And let me tell you something. God exposes everything. Everything. If you deliberately try to conceal it, and when God exposes it, he exposes it with the limelight on you. You can choose to be humble and avoid all that. Because there's grace when we're humble. And lastly, submission. Are you able to submit to others? Are you able to follow others? Are you able to submit when you're treated unfairly? I didn't see nobody say amen to that one. He said preach it to the other one, but do you just, look. When you got to submit to somebody and you're not being treated fairly, that's humility. That's humility. In 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2 says, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. It's easy. To submit to our bosses when they're so when they're considerate, when they consider your time, when they consider the fact that you got midweek at seven and and and, and you know they ask you to stay, but you know what I gotta stay. I got church. Oh, you know what? Go right on ahead. We we love those kind of bosses, right? But the bosses are like, so what? This is a business. I go to church too. You don't see me leaving running the midweek. Well, you got those bosses that aren't considered, who can care less, that you got kids all over the place and you got to get there in time, you got to feed them dinner, you got to be here, you got to do this. They don't care. When I worked for the government, they told me straight up, we don't care what you do outside of here as long as you're here and give 100%. They don't care what you do. I was like, okay, amen. But we got to give 100%. We gotta give 100%. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. It's a sign of strength when you're able to show self control under harsh treatment. Peter says that that's commendable. I think when we're not humble, we wanna get out of the situation as fast as possible without allowing God to use that situation to shape and mold us into humble people. Sometimes that's part of God's plan of teaching and maturing us, is to allow us to go through harsh treatment so that the good can come to the surface. Sometimes that's what it needs. That's, what, that's how gold is purified. You've got to heat it up. 
so that all the impurities come to the surface, so that all your angers and all your bad attitudes can get exposed, you can confess, you can ask for forgiveness, and then you can move on. But if we try to avoid every tense situation, then we could be missing opportunities to grow. Now, that doesn't mean that you accept. It doesn't even mean that you agree with the harsh treatment. But what the Bible is saying here is that we must be humble. We got to submit and show ourselves as God's, as God's ambassadors. God will deal with abuse in his church, especially, especially. God doesn't tolerate that. Go to your Bible. Now, here's the thing. God did allow kings to, harsh kings, to rule over his people for multiple years. God knew. God allowed it. But he still expected his people to be righteous. Because that's a reflection of who God is. You know, we, we're called to wait in the meantime and trust God. Pray about it. We need to pray about harsh, harsh uh, authority. And, and, and I understand there's things that we want to do. There are things we, we want to see done right away. But God's time is God's time. It may not happen in your timetable. But it will change. You think about all of, of the, the, uh, all of the harsh leadership throughout our world. They're no longer around. They're no longer around. There are countries that are free because God has exposed and dealt with harsh leadership. God knows what's going on. And God will continue to deal with it. It's in his nature. He is a just God. And he does not leave the righteous forsaken. But there is no better test of humility than when you've been wronged. There's no greater test to our humility when we've been wronged. How do you respond to harsh leadership? You know, sometimes I'll I'll be the first to confess, as a young minister, I was a hard dude. Insecure, afraid, scared. And when you're talking to people who are Older than you, more mature than you, they've been around longer than you feel like you've got to prove yourself. And to you, you're, you're being powerful. You're trying to be convicted. But to them, they're like, this dude only been a Christian for like a week. And he rebuking me on this, 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 and this. Sometimes it's, it's just coming out of people just really trying to, trying to prove themselves. It's not that they're harsh in nature. It's just they're trying to prove you got a young, young manager on your job, a young supervisor, and they're trying to establish authority. They're trying to step. Some of them don't know how to love people. I tell you, what saved my ministry career was having a conversation with one of our sisters, Melinda Hampton, after church one Sunday. And she said, James, if you love your people, they will follow you anywhere. And I said, you know what? I can do that. I can love people. And that's what we did. We just try to love y'all. All of y'all. We just try to love you. I mean, at the end of the day, look, love never fails. Isn't that what the Bible says? So even when you make mistakes, people know it's coming from a, they know that, you know what, James loves me. He didn't mean to talk to me that way. And when we talk, chances are, you know what, man, I didn't even realize that came out that way. That's how it is sometimes. Sometimes we, we, we don't realize how we come across, even with our children. We expect them to submit to our leadership as parents. Sometimes you're harsh with your kids. And you don't know it until you see them slouch down and then they, and you're like, 
was I harsh? Did that come across too hard? Yes. You know what? I'm sorry. I did not mean for it to come out that way. But we expect them to submit. And we're not always gracious parents. Sometimes we're overprotective. We can be overbearing sometimes. We can be lazy. But we still expect them to submit to our parenting. Humility is a strength. Humility is a strength. We don't have time to go through all the other scriptures, but I do want to end with this. You know, King Saul failed the test of humility back in 1 Samuel. He had a silent rebellion about him. And I do want to encourage us that if there's stuff in your heart, you gotta, you got to deal with that silent rebellion in your heart. It's one thing to say amen, but then in the back of your mind, you're like, I'm not doing that. Some of us are smart enough, we're smart enough to not openly rebel. But like King Saul, who didn't obey God, but did sort of what God said, the Bible says that, that was the sin of, the sin of rebellion. And some of us, we, we like, look, I'll, I'll, I'll come, but I'm not, I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm not, I'm not participating. It's the same old, same old. This is what's going to happen. This is what they're going to do. Silently rebel. Silently protesting. I hate this ministry. Somebody else please take a... Somebody else please do something. Somebody else please... And, and, and we're quietly rebelling. We may not see it, but the Almighty God sees everything. You know, I want my kids to obey me because they love me. Not because they fear me but because they love me and they trust that I'm taking them to a better place. That's how we want our children to be with us. That's how God wants us to be with everyone. To submit to one another. Because you never know when you may be in a position of leadership. You want people to work with you, not against you. You know, there's one other man who passed this test with flying colors. And you see right here in the scripture behind me, that one man was Jesus. You know, it says over in, uh, down in verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. But look at what he says in verse 6. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient to death, even death on the cross. You know, Jesus exemplifies humility. And as we take communion today, I want us to really reflect on the humility of Jesus. The fact that he came to earth was humbling. That God took on the flesh that he created to walk among, the, walk among us, to help us to understand so that he could be a compassionate God towards us. And that Jesus obeyed even to the point of dying a criminal's death on your behalf. How much more should you and I pursue humility? How much more you, should, you and I should, should make this a priority in our lives? We need to imitate the attitude of Jesus Christ. How did you score on the test?
Look, here's the thing. Go back, look at it again, and ask God to show you where, not where you're failing, but where you're passing. So that you can be motivated to continue to grow in these areas. You may be more surprised than you think. I think some of us think we're more prideful than we actually are. And some of us think that we're more humble than we actually are. You know, 21 years ago today, I made a decision that was the most humble decision in my life. And that was to make Jesus Lord of my life. And every year, every day, I thank God that I was humble enough, humble enough. And in one week, I had to take that test. Honesty, confession, all of that stuff, forgiveness. I had to take that test and in one week made Jesus Lord of my life. It doesn't have to take you forever to pass the test. It takes a decision and the power of the Almighty God to help us pass the test of humility and to gain this strength in our lives. Let's pray for our communion. Our Heavenly Father, God, we want to thank you for this time, and we ask that, Lord, that you help us to humble ourselves before you. And, God, for, we, ha- we pray that you help us to have a sober estimate of ourselves, that you help us to see where we're passing and where we're failing and where we need to, to study harder and to work uh, and, t- and to trust you more. Uh, Father, we know that this is a quality that can be developed. This is something that we can grow in. This is an area where we can strengthen in our lives if we decide to humble ourselves. And I pray that this will become a strength for every one of us here. God, we thank you so much for Jesus dying for us on the cross. We pray that the bread that we take that represents his body will be broken, that was broken for us. God, we pray that we'll remember the sacrifice made for us. And we pray for the juice that represents the blood that was spilled on our behalf to wash away our sins. God, I pray that you will help us to hold in our bodies the death of Jesus Christ and help us to humbly submit ourselves to you. We love you. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.